0: The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd, I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Murray Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org privacypiracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Well, good morning, Lloyd. Today we're going to be talking with a wonderful expert on cyber risk, and that's Jodi Westby. And I think we've had her on years before, so we're thrilled to have her on again. And she's going to be talking about the gap between privacy and cyber risk, which is really a scary thing right now in our society and really all over the world. I'm going to tell you a little bit about her, and then I'm going to have her tell us a little bit more but basically, she has. She's an attorney. She has over twenty years of technical. She's a techie, uh, legal, policy, and business experience. And she actually is an adjunct professor at the Georgia Institute of Technology School of Computer Science. And she's a professional blogger for Forbes. And she's here with us. And so we're so glad, Jody. I want to just give your website which is globalcyberrisk.com, and you can also go to our website at privacypiracy.org, and we link to her website. You'll see her picture and her bio, and we link there. But tell me, Jody, how did you become such a techie, and how did you get into this field?
1: Now, I started my career back farther than I want to say, Okay. And I spent 10 years in the computer industry but at that time there's a lot of big mainframes but they were moving to the smaller unbundled systems and databases and so I actually worked in my career doing everything from operations to programming to systems analysis and then database administration and my last two big companies I was with was Williams companies and then American Airlines hmm. so then I became an attorney and practiced law with a couple of New York firms. And then I went to a think tank. And uh, I, in between that, I went to the US Chamber of Commerce and headed up domestic policy. Well, the internet came around and I started doing all those internet issues and national security issues. And then I went to a think tank and was head of the uh i.t studies program but it was a think tank devoted to what they called the digital revolution mm-hmm. and um then i was tapped to launch a company that many of the people in california have heard more than back here called inQtel which was founded and funded by the cia and it was a mini venture capital i.t solutions company Uh, The mission is to find unclassified commercial solutions to our intelligence community's most pressing technology problems. So I just had this blend of technical, legal, policy, business process experience and ended up saying in 2000, I'm going to start my own business. This all is coming together. And so that's what I did. And for the last... um, well, at least since 2005. That's when I changed my company name to Global Cyber Risk. We, we've we been doing cyber risk assessments and incident response planning. We do a lot of privacy compliance. We've done privacy impact assessments. Um, cyber governance, inventories, data mapping, all that to help people. And I prefer it actually when I can, you know, what women do so well too, is we connect our dots. So I connected the dots and I prefer to actually work on the consulting side, but I'm very active in the American Bar Association. And so we always look at all the client compliance aspects. So we really kind of weave it together.
0: That's incredible. And it's such a great blend too, especially nowadays. So, um, when you're talking about the gap between privacy and cybersecurity, help us understand what that what that all means.
1: <clears throat> well, um, there are very few attorneys that have this kind of technology background. Those that have a technology background are mainly patent people, right? Uh, and so the privacy community and i'm going and i'm using generalizations here so please the audience understand that this is an area where i'm talking in general, generalities today but the privacy community is largely comprised of a lot of compliance people and they're people that are very smart in the law and understanding policy and compliance requirements but they are not usually don't have much of a background in technology right. so they- don't understand the cybersecurity programs and the system architectures of the systems they're working with.
0: Right. And that's where you bring that that wonderful expertise and experience. So let's talk about, um, you, know, you know, a lot of the chief privacy officers, um, a lot of companies have been hiring chief privacy officers and Chief security officers, and one of my friends wears both hats, Patty Titus, who you might know. So, you know, so what has that done? Has that improved the situation, or what's going on with that?
1: Well, so this is a really interesting topic. And, you know, for years I did these governance studies on how boards and senior executives are governing privacy and security. And we always looked at the roles and responsibilities. Well, there's been a lot of movement, like we moved from the audit committee being in charge of cybersecurity, really to now risk committees. Yeah. Was, but we can't seem to get rid of this thing where the CISO reports to the CIO. And we can't seem to get rid of the urge of companies to throw privacy and security all in one person. But it's an obvious segregation of duties issue. Yeah. And And if you have these in two separate roles, and I had a client where this happened, he was both. And uh, there was a clear compliance issue they had. He didn't think they had it. His, even his security team thought they did. But because he was both privacy and security, the conversation didn't take place. So one thing that, that is happening is that at the high level, at the board and executive level, yes, they're hiring chief privacy officers because they kind of got, we need a privacy officer and we need a privacy policy. And so we check that box, we hire someone, and then they sort of put that away. And those people have been toiling away in organizations doing their privacy policy and trying to manage privacy risks, but they have never really been connected with the IT team. Once in a while, you know, like when I go to these privacy conferences uh, in a talk, someone say, well, and you really ought to go talk to the IT team too. You ought to go talk to the IT people. Yeah, yeah every day. <laughs> so so the, um, the roles and responsibilities are part of the problem here in that it hasn't, Integrated privacy and security people together where they're as a team. Right now, they're not even hardly talking to each other, and that's the real gap.
0: And sometimes they almost not only do they not talk to each other, but they're really at at odds with each other, just like with the marketing department. So, so what do you do in your particular program to and in your uh, company to bring them together? What are the things that you do?
1: Well. Uh, because I'm an attorney and because I have a technical background, we can talk in both worlds. And we bring CIOs and CPOs together, but we also bring in the risk managers, those people in large companies who are buying the insurance. And, and we, so we help connect the dots in an organization. One thing that a company should have if it's doing things properly with privacy and security, not one or the other, is a cross-organizational team that looks at privacy and security issues. And this is senior level people across the organization that meets at least quarterly and discusses privacy and security issues because they are business issues that flow across a company. And and so if, if if those organizational teams were there, that would be helpful. But what we do is really in doing cyber risk assessments or whatever we're assisting a client with, We try to bring, gently bring the people together. And then they start understanding this isn't a threat to me. These people are trying to help me. And now with the threat environment, the way it is, People are understanding they don't want all of this responsibility on them because they get fired if something happens. And by best practices, risk needs to be spread across the organization and the business owners need to be responsible for their systems and data. So trying to help the client understand this is a company problem and we need to work on this as a team and we need to come together. And then they also start going, ding, 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 we can <laughs> pull our money. You know, I can get money for what I need from the, they need this, I need this, pull yeah. our money. And so it works, but you just sort of, it, we try to play a facilitating role and usually quite successfully actually.
0: So, tell me a little bit about how you perform a cybersecurity risk. Uh, We have companies that are driving by that aren't really large companies that have a lot of money to spend on this. So, what are some things that they can do? Maybe uh, can they even hire a company like yours if they're a smaller company? I know it is very expensive. Or, what are some tips that you have for all of the companies that are driving by? Because we have like a little. Area that's a technology area right here in Orange County in Aliso Viejo with lots of tech companies, and a lot of them are, are new, you know, right. up, up and coming. So, what can they do?
1: Well, it, it's for the small and mid sized business market, and SMB means revenues up to one billion. So, this is, this is much bigger than we used to think about. Yeah, but many of them now have mandatory requirements for risk assessment. Many of them have mandatory requirements for privacy impact assessments. Many of them have mandatory requirements for pre-breach cybersecurity programs where the, the breach notification laws are saying, you have to have all of these things in place just in case an event would happen. And there's now about 23 or 24 states that have those. So the first thing a small business has to do is to sit back and say, well, I may be small, but I do, what are my compliance requirements? The second thing they can do is to have a, you know, do have an insurance policy for cyber that helps because these events are expensive. However, <laughs> the biggest risk right now is for small and mid-sized businesses to understand buying a cyber policy doesn't mean you're going to stay in business because the attackers are hitting small and mid-sized businesses. mid-sized has gone up 100%, 100%, small businesses 200%. So a small mid-sized business needs to know, first of all, what are my requirements? Do I need a risk assessment? Do I need to have a privacy impact assessment? What are the things I have to do? Do I need to file things annually? The next thing is to then get a security program stood up that makes sense for what you're doing. And the two most important things are a risk assessment and an incident response plan. Um, if you don't have an incident response plan, you're going to be flying by the seat of your pants, and it's not going to be pretty. Mm-hmm. And if you and if you haven't done a risk assessment, you really don't know what you need to do. And Whenever you have an incident, if you can show that you've had an assessment and you're trying to improve things, no one expects you to be perfect. There's a lot of forgiveness. But if you haven't ever done a risk assessment and you're just out there operating business, your investors, whether they're family and friends or you're a big company on a public exchange, are not going to be happy. And regulators are not going to be happy. So- We have modified, I've streamlined my methodologies I use for large multinationals so I can do a risk assessment, an incident response plan for an SMB and do it in in a cost-effective manner and one that is also very comprehensive and gets them a really good work product. Now, a lot of people do these all different ways, but the main thing to understand is that um, companies can't just sit around and wait and they can't think their IT guy is going to also be their security guy. They have to start focusing on this and the small, mid-sized businesses often don't want to spend the money. I'd right. tell you, they're going to spend a lot of money the minute something happens and then it's not going to be good for their operations. They may not even stay in business.
0: Right. And they may be fined by the Attorney General's office or by the Federal Trade Commission or whatever, right, depending on, on how bad of a breach it was or whatever they did.
1: They can um, lose customers, they can lose market share.
0: Right, and the publicity is not going to be great for them either, right, right. Okay, um, so in, in terms of the consequences of the gap, um, what, what is going to happen well, I guess that's what we were just talking about, too, is those are some of the consequences of having the gap is that it just doesn't get done. You know, I, when you say, you know, you're an attorney and I'm an attorney, and I notice that law firms are probably the worst offenders as far as privacy is concerned. What do, you, what do you say about that? I mean, I can't even believe when I send something encrypted and, you know, I give them the password and, you know, just even make it something simple. Um, a lot of these attorneys will send me things like tax returns unencrypted. And what do you say to that? I mean, I think people are just kind of in smaller firms or even larger firms. They're just oblivious. So what do you think about that?
1: Um, there, There are tools now that are out there to help companies send confidential information securely because that is a bigger problem than it sounds like encryption has never taken hold very well except maybe this laptop hard disk encryption because it's difficult to use and you have encryption keys to manage and all of that but there are some solutions now that are um, vaults the vaults make easier and (laughs) and so and that has to be there there's also policies and procedures and you know you can say to your accountant do not send this to me by email unless it's encrypted or please right. use, we have a technology to send it. I want you to, I want to send, it'll send you the link so you can send it to me via that means. Right. And letting your people that you work with and deal with know that this is important for you if they want to keep you as a client.
0: Right, well, if, if if they're the opposing counsel, or if they're an attorney, if I'm the mediator, and they're all the attorneys, and they're sending me stuff, and I'm telling them please encrypt or please send it through a you know secure vault or whatever, I, I don't get. I mean, they just ignore that. So that's pretty amazing in in that field. And the accountants too. I've changed three accountants because they did not keep things private. So it just is crazy.
1: Well, but you know, there's there's one thing if you don't mind I'd, I'd like to bring up here and that is that the the privacy people we're back to this thing of the privacy people and the security people don't talk a lot but yeah. part of it is the privacy people are off they don't understand cybersecurity programs right and they have gone to iso and nist and said oh we need our own standards and so iso has developed you know some standards that for privacy. And I have to say, ISO has developed several of them. So they have 27001 and 27002 are the leading information security and control documents. But then they have uh, 27701, that is a privacy document for it's security techniques, maybe you can see it, it's security techniques, and it's an extension to 27001 and 27002 for privacy information management. And they have a number of, they have a document for security for clouds and security for um, uh, uh, privacy impact assessments, pr- guidelines for how you do that. They have five or six publications, but they have done this very different than NIST. NIST just this past month came out with their privacy framework. And it's a nightmare. Oh. <laughs> ISO has taken <laughs> has taken the privacy requirements and linked them to the cybersecurity program. Mm. And this is what has been the gap all along. Privacy officers don't understand cybersecurity programs. No. They don't know how to take my privacy compliance requirement and turn that into three or four controls over here in the cybersecurity program. And ISO has done a very good job at identifying here are the things you need to do for good privacy management. And here's how this is linked to and integrated into the standards for cybersecurity programs. NIST has just created this document that is the big (laughs) bunch of blah, blah. And these people going around redundantly developing things that are already done in the cybersecurity program, they're not even aware of it. Mm. It is the document that I just hung my head and said, oh, dear. We used to have Unist developing great stuff. But this document is a mess. And it is simply because it was developed by people who don't understand cybersecurity programs and how to do it. The ISO documents were developed by people that understand GDPR. They're mainly Europeans. They have a lot of stakeholders involved around the world. And And they've had
0: privacy around a lot longer than us, too.
1: Yep, and they have taken it very seriously. But, you know, the privacy impact assessments and the requirements, those came from over across the pond. Right. And, And so when I look at the two documents, there is such a big difference between them and and it worries me because until our privacy officers grasp what how to integrate this in cybersecurity programs we are going to continue to waste money and to not have good privacy protections they'll have developed a lot of good paperwork but it doesn't mean it's going to mean anything
0: it's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. So so this all leads to the issue of education and training. So what do you think should happen so that these kinds of, that, that the gap is closed and the, there's that integration and understanding?
1: Um, it's I'm, sorry, I'm sorry to say this, but I think IAPP is part of the problem. And I and I love that organization. For right, so
0: just my my audience, the IAPP is the International Association of Privacy Professionals, of which you know Jody and I are both members. So yeah,
1: we're members, just, and they came out with this document, the skill set needed to implement a privacy risk management framework, and they are saying how oh this is how you take our best practices and use the NIST framework.
0: Oh dear! <laughs> I'm
1: going I'm good. Well, you know that's not going to get anything in a security program, and so it has been a frustration of mine. I mean, I've gone to several privacy events in the past year, and have left so frustrated. Mm. I, I was at one event, and they had a big round table, and said, "Let's go around the room and talk about what's the mo- what do you what ha- you think has been the most important thing since uh, what surprised you the most since since uh, GDPR." And they came to me and I said that no one's talking about, you know, the EU cybersecurity mandates. And they just looked at me and went, next. And... <laughs> <laughs> yes. so okay. it, there's a big gap here. And and it, I think it's just a gap between compliance and technical people. And I don't think IAPP's done enough to help bridge that. I don't think IAPP understands it. And I, I'm so sorry to say that because, i love the organization they've done trevor and all of them have done a great yeah. job They great work but this is i i also think it's my responsibility as a professional and an expert in this space to speak up when i see a big. yeah
0: company. yeah well maybe you should get on their board
1: well <laughs> they probably don't want that you
0: have enough to do right with your company <laughs> oh. well, we
1: don't want that but i think we do need to have more conversations with them and i'll take that on my back and say maybe we should have been talking to them more than we have been. Yeah,
0: yeah. So, you know, with GDPR, we've we've got in California the new California Consumer Privacy Act. So that's requiring a lot more. What do you think about that? I mean, that's, we're going to have to complete that gap for that law too, right?
1: Yeah. So, you know, um, comparing GDPR and CCPA is a good comparison because the GDPR was discussed for years until it finally came about but when it came about it was well honed and refined right ccpa was passed in a flash.
0: Well, you know why? Because because it was an initiative, and, and what happened was the legislature didn't want it to be an initiative because they wouldn't be able to make any changes. So that's why they they passed it in a flash, knowing that they could just work on it for years afterwards. So that's you know kind of California initiative process.
1: Yeah, but that costs everybody money when they're right. doing the process, and then then they had they've already amended it. And then they put out regs. Now they've just amended some of the regs. And so, you know, it, it is, this is not helpful because no. right now it's out there and they've delayed the, the effective date. Well, it's effective, but the enforcement date. And, um, it, and it's created a lot of confusion. But, you know, these things are expensive. Yeah. What people don't understand is when you start saying to a company, you have to be able to tell us all the information you have, and you have to be able to give a person a choice, and they have to be able to do this and this, this requires changes in software. These are system integration changes, and these are expensive. We're talking hundreds of millions of dollars sometimes. And so companies need to know what they're doing. They just can't go in and make some change. Oh, well, now they've amended it. Let's go back and make another change to the system. All of this is a big process of what's the change going to be, change management process, development, testing, sign-off, implementation, and... Training. Building.
0: Training. If people Training. don't know how to use yeah. the, the right. software and they don't know how to integrate everything, then, if, you know, like you said, the big, there's a gap, but the gap is they don't understand each other. You know, the cyber right. people don't understand the privacy people, and, and then they're talking two different languages as well, right?
1: well and there's at least you
0: two speak two both hammers. languages you can translate
1: <laughs> there's two different hammers with gdpr everyone was afraid of that two to four percent of global revenue right with ccpa they're not afraid of the fine they're afraid of the civil lawsuits right that be filed right and that's very different the plaintiff's bar versus regulatory fines and um So we're going to see these play out very differently. It's going to be hard to compare them because the plaintiff's bar is going to run away with CCPA.
0: If they could understand it.
1: (laughs) It doesn't matter if they do or not. They'll file lawsuits anyway.
0: Right, right. Yeah, I don't know if you know, but Alistar is is, is, um, proposing a new initiative now another privacy initiative. So it should be interesting. Yeah. I've had him on my show and he's actually coming back on again to talk about his new initiative. So, I mean, he has good ideas and, but again, it's that gap. He doesn't understand either about how do you implement all this and what is that going to mean? So I think, I think, you know, he, he looks for what he believes is right and gets the initiative going, but then to implement it is a whole nother story. Yeah.
1: yeah. Back to your whole thing, though, about um, the, Training. the- No, the, just the whole thing with what small and mid-sized businesses. Yes. Companies don't get on this and start Taking privacy and cybersecurity seriously, they are going to be mandated to do stuff. And it's going to be an everyday cost that they have to live with forever. Yeah. It's going to happen. The the lawmakers are just going to say enough. We've given everybody enough time for market forces to work. You guys just aren't going to do this unless we tell you you have to
0: right so are are there a couple guides that you can first refer people to to read up on it that are that are in those mid-sized businesses that are driving by and maybe the mid-sized law firms that don't know what they're doing either for for companies that can't hire their own CSO or CPO which even those are having a problem according to what you're telling us but um, what what kind of guides can they start with should they start with best practice guides from the Federal Trade Commission or what, what do you think is a good place to start?
1: There's a number of resources now. The Federal Trade Commission has put together a, a whole library of small business cybersecurity information. Good stuff. And um, I believe I believe the Small Business Administration may have two, um, but the American Bar Association has two. So, I'm serving on the ABA president's cybersecurity legal task force. And mm-hmm. we've been putting together information and things for small businesses to look to. And so, there's certainly, you know, we can say look to the NIST guidance. I would say, you know, if you look at the ISO 27001 and 2, and because those are, that's the gold standard for cybersecurity programs. Mm-hmm. And those can be, they're reasonable. They're reasonable in size, and people can adapt them to their own organization. If they don't need something, they can say, I don't need this, and here's why, and go on. Right. And and it's something that people can understand. And then look at the privacy documents that, that ISO has developed, especially this 27701 and yes you you have to pay for these but they're not that much it's like 158 swiss francs whatever that is maybe it's 150 dollars but yeah. it's a document that you can use forever in your business and um and and look at that because this really tells you here's how you take this compliance requirement and make sure it's in your security program and and it's well written and they link it all back to each requirement and i i actually think those are the best things for small mid-sized businesses to look at because it tells them what they really need to do but even that they don't understand the the jargon and yeah. what so in part it's like spend a little money get somebody to come in don't just hire the IT guy, get a cyber person to come in, somebody that works with small and mid-sized businesses, and get a few bids and get somewhere to help you get going. I think that's really the smartest thing.
0: Well, that sounds great. That's a perfect way for us to end. Again, just give your website if you could.
1: GlobalCyberRisk.com. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.